Well, this morning, we are in the book of Galatians. We're in the third chapter. It's our third week in a series called Real Life. And I want to encourage you, if you are reading through Galatians, there's a wonderful uh, devotional study right there on version by Tim Keller on the book of Galatians. You can, you can download that and enjoy that. But what we've been talking about is how that Paul, the apostle, was, was someone who was a church planter. We, we're thankful for people that start new things, and he was one that started new churches across what was in Asia. And, and in the area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, he established some churches. And in Paul's way of establishing them, he would get a church going, then out of that he'd raise up a pastor, raise up leadership, and then he'd go on and start something new. And as any pastor, you're always, your heart is always back towards what God has used you. And I can tell you, the churches Denise and I have been able to serve over these 25 years, our heart is still to those people. We, they still connect to us. We, we had one suffer tragedy this week, and they're living out in Washington. We've known them for years back. I led the husband to the Lord, and, and we're grieving with them because they're part of our family. And Paul felt that way. And what he did was... He was writing a letter back to the churches to encourage them. So when you're reading your Bible and you're reading books like Thessalonians or, or, uh, or Galatians or Corinthians or Ephesians, those are letters that he's written back to the churches, and he's either instructing them or correcting them or encouraging them. The book of Galatians was a corrective book. It was a book that was saying to the church, listen, what began in you was of God. What began of you was of the Spirit. But now you've let some people come in and convince you that you need to serve God in your own strength, and you need to somehow prove to God your worth by keeping some of the Old Testament law commandments, particularly some dietary commandments and the, and the act of circumcision. You can imagine that did not go over real well with the adult males of that, uh, of that generation. And Paul was trying to get them to see the beauty of the gospel that had been taught them in the beginning. And what we're doing in this series is we're going back and seeing the parts of that that relate even to us right now that says this is how God wants us to know him. In the beginning, we talked about how that from the very beginning of time, the choice in the garden, the, the, the choice of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of, uh, of, of life, it was really the choice of how do I approach God? Do I approach God out of trust that his way is right? Or do I approach God out of my ability to somehow make myself worthy to him, make myself acceptable to him? Last week, we talked about how that we've got to be careful that once we choose life and we choose to follow God according to his gospel, we have a tendency in our flesh to always want to go back and always want to go back into the way of the flesh and say, but somehow I've got to do something to prove God, to prove to God that I am worthy. And we talked about how we need to live the crucified life in order to not uh, continually go back and try to re-earn our salvation. Well, today we're going in chapter 3 where Paul talks about this life of grace. And this morning, let me caution you and let me challenge you because for some, we take grace as almost this elementary concept that says, you know, hey, we know this, we've got this, and, and we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it and what it really means to our lives. So I want you this morning just to approach this in a fresh way. Can we do that? And let God speak to hearts. So pray with me and let's just ask God to do that in us. Father, I'm so thankful. God, what a, what a beautiful day to worship you in. God, what a beautiful presence we feel in this place right now. God, you are here as we sang. And God, I just ask you, Lord, in all of us, it doesn't matter if we've been a believer for a month or we're, we're thinking about becoming a believer, we've been one for 40 years, God. God, let us never, never, God, stop being awed and amazed by that that thought and that reality of grace in our lives. So, Father, speak to us through this word today. God, give us that hope that comes in knowing you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Paul was really passionate about this. 
He, he was greatly upset that people had come in, religious people, and messed up the church he had created. And messed up the thought life because they'd come in and they said, you know, all that grace stuff, all the thought about Christ doing everything for you and you just need to accept, you know, that sounds good, but we've got to add one. You need to add something to that in order to prove that you really are spiritual or you are one that God really can work in. But Paul was teaching the truth of the gospel, and he said, you know what, don't be deceived by this false gospel. Listen to his words in, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Hear the passion in them. He says, you foolish Galatians. Now, people say, Pastor, you shouldn't talk to your church like that. Well, they're, listen, as pastors, we're passionate. When we see people that are struggling in life and we know that they know better or we know that they know how or that they've received the Spirit, it gets us because we get angry not at them but at, the, at, at Satan who's deceived them to somehow go their own way. So Paul was like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. In other words, what he's saying is the meaning of the cross was made clear to you. You know that when Jesus said it is done, it was done. It was finished. It was there to you. He said, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Let me make this very upfront applicable to us today. How many lawbreakers are in this place this morning? Let me see your hands. <laughs> okay. How many laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? How many broke the law this morning coming to church? <laughs> okay. I know it's kind of humorous. You're kind of like, well, yeah, duh, Mike. Uh, how many sins do you have to get in a minute to be a sinner? Here's what Paul's saying. He says, so if your approach to God, if your spirituality, if your really connectedness to God is based on your ability to keep the law, how much of a chance do you have to succeed with that? Very, very minimal. In fact, there's only one perfect that's ever kept the law, and that was Jesus Christ. And what Paul was saying was you need to understand the gospel. It only takes one sin to blow it. It only takes one sin to break it out. And according to Romans 3.23, the wages of sin are death. He says, so here's the problem. Can you see that God created you for relationship with him? From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he walked with them. He talked with them. He shared life with them. That was his desire for every single one of us. And he, and he built this wonderful creation, but sin entered in, and now this separation is formed. And the question that Paul was dealing with with them was, well, then how are you going to close the gap? How are you going to close the gap of the separation that comes between you and God because of sin? So if the penalty for even one sin is death, then you're up a creek. Because the only way then to close the gap is to die. And what's the purpose of that? Because if you die, now you don't have a relationship with God in the first place. So what did God do? God sent his son. He sent his one and only son to, to come down and to step into the courtroom of our lives. In the, in the moment that we were found guilty, the verdict is there, the sentence is death, Jesus did something that we would never do. He stepped and said, I'll take that penalty. I'll take that penalty on their behalf. See, that's the gospel, guys. He said, I'll take that penalty. I'll, I'll bear it on myself because I want them to know the Heavenly Father. But if we are honest to ourselves and we hear that and we're like, oh, thank God. But at the same time, we also think that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right that someone could take our place. It's kind of like this. Have you ever been in a restaurant and somebody has paid for your meal for you and it just kind of anonymously? Anybody ever had that happen to them? 
one couple. John and I had that happen a few weeks ago. John and I meet every Tuesday morning on, uh, for coffee. We've been doing that for almost seven years now because uh, I need him in my life, and we, we share those, those things together. And we had a lady pay for us anonymously. And you know what my response was? I was embarrassed. I know I shouldn't have been. I should have been like, well, that's cool, isn't it? But I'm thinking, that's not right. I can pay for my own meal. I don't, I don't need that. Well, can I tell you, our spirits do the same thing when it comes to God. We're like, he shouldn't have done that. There's got to be something we can do, right? There's got to be some way we can prove that we were worth the price. But, but yet, what happened is Jesus paid our bill. He paid our bill, and it seems wrong, so somehow we try to repay it. But can I tell you guys, it's ridiculous for us to somehow think that we can repay what he has done for us because there's no way we could take his place. Here's what Paul said in Galatians. He told them in verse 10, he said, listen, for all who rely on the works of the law, what he's talking about is all who try to keep all the regulations, all the works, all the dietary, all the sacrificial things, he says, you're under a curse. Not, not, not cursed by God. But you're under a curse that you've put on yourself. And why? He says, as it is written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. James, the brother of Jesus, said it probably a little more clearly in James chapter 2, verse 10, when he said, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Boy, that goes against our nature, doesn't it? Because we, like we like to live on that side of being better than. <laughs> well, God, I'm better than my neighbor. God, I'm better than the one sitting on the other side of the auditorium this morning. God, I'm better than that one. But yet God doesn't grade on better. He grades on the fact, have we received the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? So how do we, what do we learn from this? I want to contrast this morning living by the law and living by grace. So if you're taking notes, that's where we're going to focus this morning, living by the law and living by grace. And the first thing you need to recognize about the law was that the law could not be obeyed fully. The law could not be obeyed fully. When God sent the, the commandments at, the, at Mount Sinai and, and Moses took them and now was leading the people and then as they added the, the, the tenants to, to relate to each other, from the very get-go, there was no way they could keep them all. And that's why the sacrificial system was there. They had to somehow come and shed blood and say at the end of the day, God, we can't do this. And, and the, the difficulty is simply this. If we pray a lot, if we serve a lot, if we give a lot, if we read a lot, and these are all good things we need to do them, we still can't do enough because none of those things cure the sin nature. None of those things cure the real problem. And that is the breaking of the sin nature. But here's what we do in America. Here's what we do in the West, and we do it very well. We, we kind of think that if we've done something wrong, we can always make it up. <laughs> if I've done something wrong, I can always make it up by doing something better. That, that's kind of in our nature. We watch it in our kids. Let me, let me make up for that. Let me do something to, to prove that I'm not a bad person or whatever. And most really believe in what I call a 51% heaven. A 51% heaven. And the goal of a 51% heaven is this. If I do just enough good things to outweigh the bad things, then God has to accept me. Can I tell you that that's how a lot of false religions believe? If I do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, then somehow whatever my God is, he has to accept me. My question is always, how do you know you've done enough? How do you know? Is there a scale? Is there a meter? Is there an app that you can somehow register and go, hey, I'm at 51%. I'm good. No. We'll never know because if it's all based on what we do, we fall short. Because it only takes one sin to mess it up. In verse 19, Paul says this, and why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. 
But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. So what he's saying is the law was sent to make people recognize, left to yourself, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't do it. You just can't do it. You can try all you want to, but there's a humility, there's a a humbling that comes to recognize we just can't do it. But it was designed to be there until the coming of the child who was promised, who was Christ. And when I read that scripture, I'm like, well, then why did you give it? If you knew we couldn't do it, then why did you give it? Well, what was the purpose of that? And he explains in verse 24 through 25. He says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So here's what Paul was trying to teach. He's like, look, guys. He says, I want you to understand the law was designed by God to protect you. Because left to yourself, you would just go your own way. Left to yourself, there would be no no holiness at all. There would be no righteousness. There would be no right living. It would just be every man for himself. And God gave you the law to put a guardian around you, to kind of put the riverbanks around you, to keep you moving forward until the promise would come. But the frustration you feel and your inability to keep it was really designed to make you start longing for, to start longing for the one who could make you right. And that's who Jesus is, the one who could make you right. Because the second thing about the law is this, and that is the law was meant to lead us to Christ. Verse 24, read it again, says, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Now, that's the cool thing right there, and that's where I get excited. Because here, here's what's really, really great about that statement right there. When you do it the right way, in other words, when you come by faith, when you come and accept the grace of God, when you come and you say, God, I am a sinner. I cannot live up to your standards. If it's up to me, God, the world is doomed, okay? I'm just going to be real honest, God. I, I'm, just, I'm coming that way. That's when the miracle of salvation happens. That's when things begin to change. That's when when you start singing the song from the inside out, it becomes a reality because that's when only God can make you into what he's created you to be is when we finally surrender, which is really what salvation is, and we surrender and say, all right, God, I give you myself. And a miracle starts to happen on the inside. God begins to change us. You see, you see we, we, we think we can train ourselves into godliness, can't on my best day i fall short of the glory of god i mean just isn't it amazing how quick we can go from all this god thought and oh life is good praise god and one wrong person crosses our path it's like boom man we're all flesh we're like kill them torch them god you know they cut me off in traffic god let them flip you know just go you know i i I'm, we don't have hope bumper stickers for that reason i don't trust y'all yet you know it's just i don't i don't trust myself let's be honest with you okay but it's just we've got to recognize that when we receive what christ did that's when the miracle happens inside of us and the, according to scripture something happens the the old goes away and the new comes second corinthians 5 says therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here when I get frustrated is when I see believers that know that but keep going back and keep going back and keep going back and somehow grabbing hold of the law and saying, but God, I'm going to prove that I'm better than everybody else because I can do this. And I see them frustrated. Here's what we need to know, guys. Christianity is not a learned behavior. You don't go take a course in Christianity in college 
and get your master's degree in Christianity so you learn a behavior, a set of rules. Christianity is a transformation on the inside that is evident on the outside. Here's another way to put it. You want to write this down. Christianity doesn't want you to do right. It makes you right. I'm going to say it again. Christianity doesn't want you to do right. It makes you right. And that's what Jesus did for us. The act of everything he did, the dying on the cross, the rising from the grave, it's why we celebrate communion every Sunday. What he did, we wrap up in one term, and it's called grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know it. I want you to know, know it in an experiential way. I don't want you just to know it. I want you to experience every single day. When I was starting out in, in ministry, and it's, we've, been, we've been reliving memories this week because we're going through boxes that we should have thrown away a long time ago. And when we first started ministry, I had this false understanding that I was going to be judged someday based on how my church behaved. So it's my responsibility to help you learn how to behave. And I learned very quickly that if I had to base my life on you behaving, I would need John and about 10 other therapists in my life every moment, every second of the day. Because I can't do it, and I can't bear that responsibility. I would go nuts trying to help you figure out how to behave. It's kind of like the old preacher I heard one time that uh, he, before he retired, he changed positions. And he left the pulpit, left the church, and he became an undertaker. One of his friends said, what are you doing? Why would you become an undertaker? He goes, well, in this job, when I straighten them out, they stay straightened out. <laughs> that's funny. Come on. I don't care if you don't think it is or not. That, that's funny. So... How do we live in grace? How do we, how do we live in grace? We don't want to live in the law. The first thing we have to recognize is this. Grace is a free gift. Write that down. Grace is a free gift. How many like free things? I like free things. I'm going I'm I'm to use an example for us old people today, older people. Because sometimes my analogies don't work anymore. I know that. I grew up with a commercial. I can still hear the guy's voice. Think, see if you can name this company, some of y'all. We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. He didn't say earn, earn it, right? It's like, look at us. We earned it. Who was that? Anybody know the company? Smith Barney. The old-fashioned way. We earn it. Can I tell you a lot of Christians sitting in churches today should work for Smith Barney? We're religious the old-fashioned way. We earn it, and we're going to make you earn it too. Oh, death, death. Death. It's horrible. It's the ones that sit there in the door and look and say, oh, look who just walked in. Boy, they, they are a sinner. Did you see that T-shirt? Did you see that hairstyle? How many piercings? Man, if they went underwater, they'd leak. I mean, come on. We bring people into that because we feel somehow that we earn something, so we've got to make them earn something, and we make them miserable. Listen, we've got to focus on the fact that grace is a free gift from God. And it cost him something. It cost him something. When Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine what it felt like to the father to see his child, to see his only son say, why are you forsaking me? If you've ever had the experience of taking your little one to the, to the doctor and they're going to give him a shot and the little one starts crying out, daddy, save me here, mama, help me. And your heart just like rips in two, Right? Can you imagine the heart of the Father? I never got this until I watched the movie The Passion that came out years ago about the end days of Christ. And if you remember the, the story of The Passion, when Jesus finally, you know, when the, the Spirit left him, he died. The picture was so amazing. What they did is they made this big teardrop drop from heaven. I don't remember 
the rest of that movie didn't move me. That moved me. Because I never thought about God hurting. I thought about Christ hurting, yes. He received physical punishment. It was on him. But it cost him. It cost our father. It cost his son. He was abandoned by his father when he stepped in to save him. Why? Because he knew the wages of sin were death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is a free gift. The second thing is grace is received by faith. Faith faith is not just a belief in something. It is a trust in something. Faith is not just a belief in something. It is trusting something. And grace can only be received by faith. That's why Christianity is not a belief system. The Bible even says the devil believes, demons believe, and they tremble. Okay? They, they, They know what we know. They know more than we know. But they know what we know. And they tremble. It's not just a belief system. It is an act of faith, trust. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is so powerful. We talked about how are you saved. For it says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And that it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You see, we need to understand if we're going to live the life of grace, it is a free gift of God. It is received by faith knowing that you have to act on your faith. And that's where this morning, I know some of you, you're on the bubble, you're on that line, and you're, you're still checking it out, and you're not sure yet if you want to step across to know Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, you will never step across the line to know Jesus Christ if you think you have to understand it all before you step across the line. That's where faith comes in. Faith says, I, I want to believe, I see it, I, I, I'm getting around it, but I've got to somehow experience it. It is kind of like when we were raising our kids, and we'd put some new food in front of them, like, I don't like it. Well, have you ever tried it? Well, no. Well, how do you know if you like it or not? Well, I don't know. It just doesn't look good. Well, try it. You know, and we're going through the whole thing, and like, try the broccoli. It's good for you, right? Well, it's the same in Christianity. Well, I don't, I don't want to trust God. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, you're not going to know until you step across the line. And by faith, you say, I surrender. I want to know you, God. There's a faith element. It's not just knowledge. It's faith. I love the way uh, the message uh, version of the Bible, which is a great great Bible for devotional study. It kind of puts it in modern language. In Ephesians 2, 7, in the message, says this, now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea in all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to the finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. Grace is a free gift. It comes by faith. Here's the third thing about grace. It's available to everyone. This is so important. Please don't miss this today. It is available to everyone. Never let it be said in the progression and the development of Hope Church that we ever become a church for Christian people only. Let it never be said that. If if that's what it is, if it's going to be a Christian club, then you know what? We might as well write the death sentence on it and let's go do something else. Never let it be said that is what it's all about. Because we we come to welcome everyone, and everyone is welcome. And can I tell you, in our our charged political environment right now, in our our weird cultural wars that are going on right now, my my brothers in Texas are calling me this week, give me a Greek one, how's it feel to live in North Carolina right now? And I'm like, shut up. You know, it's, it's, it's where we are, you know? Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Pastor friend of mine was relating the story the other day where a young man come to him before service and said, am I welcome in your church? He goes, why wouldn't you? Because, well, I'm gay. And you know I was born that way. And pastor goes, well, sure you're welcome. Because I was born as a horrible liar 
full of greed and anger and, uh, and lust, and I was a mess. And I'm so glad that someone created a place where I was welcome to come and let Jesus work those things in my life and save me and cleanse me and make me like him. I thought, wow, I'm not that quick. That was a great answer. But it's the right answer, isn't it? I knew it would get quiet right now. I don't know, Pastor, that just feels weird. Your sin was going to bust hell wide open before you found Christ, period. Aren't you glad someone opened the door for you to know Christ, period? But here's the deal. The gospels, it, everyone's welcome to come and let Jesus do his work on the inside of us. You see, Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who comes to the standard set by God and his word must say, here I am, Lord, do your work in me. Not here I am, Lord, it's just the way it is, learn to live with it. No. I shared with you last week, if I was left to my passions and desires, you would not have me to be your pastor. You'd be visiting me in jail probably right now. We're not led by our passions and our desires, we're led by the word of God. Because we came into this world broken. That little girl I held a while ago in my arms, yeah, she's cute and squiggly and all that, but she's broken. But we know the healer, and we know the Savior, and he's going to change her life. Amen? Amen. See, grace is available to everyone, but it comes only through Christ, and that's our fourth point this morning. I know the, I know the world is changing and I know we live in a very diverse and a very uh, unique community. I know that we have lots of, lots of people all around the world and all different religions represented right here in our own community. My neighborhood is becoming more Muslim than anything right now uh, when I live just down the road here. But can I tell you, it's still truth. Listen, I know it's changing, but it's still true. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's only one way. We can't, we can't change that. I told you last week, I don't have opinions. I have the Word of God. I have to stay right here in the Word of God. And here's the reason why. He is the only one that addressed the problem. The problem was not a behavior of me to be better, to do more. The problem was me. I needed fixing. I needed change from the inside out. And Christ was the only one who fixed the problem by giving his life, paying the price, and showing us the way. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. You can't rewrite the Word of God and be legit as a Christian. And we need to stop doing it. Can I tell you, the world is not going to be changed. Your neighbor is not going to be saved. Your family is not going to change by you trying to change the gospel. What we need is truth. Because the Bible says truth sets people free. Now, truth with love, church. <laughs> That's what we're missing right now. It's easy to be angry. Come on, don't, don't get all religious on me. It's easy to be angry, right? You, you just see stuff, you read stuff. I mean, I watch your Facebook, I know, come on. I wish I wasn't on Facebook. I only go to check on y'all, that's why. It's the best pastoral tool there has ever been invented. I look at it today, and I can name three families that aren't here because their kids have the flu. That's pretty good. I don't, I don't have to follow them. Hey, what's up with you? They got the flu. Pray for them, right? But we can be angry. And if you listen to the tenor right now of who are the Christians in America, we're just a bunch of angry people. And we hate everybody because they're messing up our world. Can I tell you, we live in a messed up world from the beginning. And we do our own share of messing it up. But that's why our hope is beyond. That's why our hope is in heaven. That's why our hope is through eternity. Because this is not all there is. 
There is a way that's right. It leads to Christ. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Guys, grace is available to everyone and anyone who's struggling with anything, but it can only come through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul said it in verse 21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Here's our final point today, and we're going to wrap this up. And that is grace is extended throughout eternity. Grace is extended throughout eternity. When Jesus was on the cross and he paid the price for our sins, I did did a teaching, and I, I haven't done it here, but I've done it before about the sayings on the cross, the things that Jesus said, because I think there's great significance to what you say, especially in your last days, because it's kind of a wrap-up, right? And one of those powerful things he said was, it is finished. He didn't say, go add to this. He didn't say, revise this as culture changes. He He didn't say, make it more palatable for the next generation. He said, it is finished. What he meant by that is he paid the price for your sin. The sin you committed before, the sin you commit now, the sin you will, he paid the price. The price has been paid. He says, come to the Father through him. Let that free gift of grace work in you. Let that free gift of grace begin to build up in you. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16 says, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I know, I know the pushback right here on the teaching because in my spirit, I have to fight the pushback. I, I grew up in an environment of the church that I, I was raised in up to about 12 years old, 15 years old. Grace was never taught, okay? Oh, they'd, they'd say it, but it wasn't taught. That's why I got saved every Sunday. I was awesome, man. You got an altar call, I'm there. I was the pastor's best friend. Somebody got saved today. Well, it's Mike, yeah, Okay. But I know the pushback, and that's this. Well, there you go. You just told people they can live just any way they want to live. Doesn't matter. Because after all, we have grace. No, we're going to talk about that next week. But Paul actually had to address that to the church in Rome. And he said to them, he said, should we continue to sin that grace would abound? Help me out, anybody that knows what it says. God forbid. In other words, no. Heck no, no, whatever you want to emphasize, no, (laughs) that's not the teaching. That's not what he's saying right here. He's saying there is this power that gets unleashed in us. Then when we receive Christ and we come into his love and the grace begins to flow in our lives, we get changed from the inside out. And it doesn't unhook us from from our behavior, but it changes our motivations and our understanding of sin so that we then move from being ought to to want to. It's the last scripture I want to read you today, and we're going to pray in Titus. Titus 2, verse 11 through 12 says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, not your own discipline, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So what is grace? For me, grace is this. I know I'm living in the grace of God, but I experience when what I ought to do becomes what I want to do. 
And I'm no longer picking up the Bible in the morning and going, oh, I got to read three chapters a day or I'm going to hell. Because that's what he said. Or I got to pray an hour. No, I'm getting up and going, wow, I get to open the words of life. And if I only have five minutes in God, Holy Spirit, bring that life into me. When I pray, I don't want to go through the gymnastics of being religious. I just want to come and say, Father, here I am. Can I just spend some time with you? Because I need you. You see, when you come into grace, it gets real. Because the separation is removed. Because now it's not based on what you're doing. It's based on what he has done. And I want you to know that. I want you to experience it. I want you to follow that. But I know it begins with that step of faith. I know it comes to that point of just stepping through and saying, God, I believe. We're going to enter a time of response here. And can I just encourage you this morning? I know there are various spectrums that we're all receiving this in this morning. And I know there's some that you're like, but I feel so guilty. Can I tell you, if you're feeling that guiltiness and you're feeling that condemnation, that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. If the guilt is there, it should lead to that, here I am, God. Change me. Others, you've been looking down your nose so long at everyone that's not like you. You need to be broken out. And I say that not to be mean-spirited at all. I'm saying it for your own freedom. We live in a broken world. We live among broken people. They will disappoint you. We will disappoint them. But you know what? We point to the one who will never disappoint us and never leave us the same. And that's the answer to the world. We're not it. He is. So let me encourage you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're just really struggling. And maybe it's just, man, everything is just tight inside of you. And you're just, if you're honest with yourself, you're just angry right now. Can I tell you, give that to God. Because you can't witness to somebody when your knee is in their chest and your fingers in their face. It doesn't work. And then I know there's some of you this morning, you've been so gracious, you've been listening, you've been trying to learn and grow, and you're, you're still not quite there to step over and say, I'm, I'm going to get saved and I want to be baptized. Can I tell you, you're never going to get there if you're waiting to rationalize it all right here. You got to let go. Give it to God. This week, I mentioned a church family that very dear to Denise and I. And why they're dear is because for the man in his adult life, in his late 30s, early 40s, top of the world. I mean, career, family, everything going. He didn't know Christ. And he kept coming to church and coming to church. And I could always pick him out because he looked like Ken. Ken from Ken and Barbie. He was awesome, right? GQ guy. And finally, one day, GQ guy showed up in my office. And he goes, I don't understand what you're talking about. My wife says, I need to talk to you. And I led him from Genesis to Revelation over about six months of just talking. And here was his problem. He had to understand it. And finally I said, look, dude, you're not going to get it unless you step across. And he got angry and said, I can't do that. Well, I'm praying for you. Next week he came to office in tears. He said, I stepped over. Now I get it. Guys, it takes faith. Let's step 